sermon text today is Leviticus 5, 14 through 19. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks, with your valuation in shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing, and shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for having us in this passage today. We pray that we would understand what you have for us, that we'd understand your teaching how to apply it to our lives as a church, as people who live in a nation, as people with families, that we could understand this passage and apply it in the way that um, you desire for us to apply it, is the way you have set forth. We pray you give Mr. Horn strength as he preaches this passage. We thank you for the time you've given him to study and to prepare for it. We we would all learn from it and we could uh, learn how to better glorify you and how we uh, deal with holy things, how we deal with um, sinning unintentionally. In Christ's name, amen. So as we continue to, as we continue to consider the various trespass offerings, God spoke next about the trespass offerings related to holy things. As I have said, as we've been in Leviticus 5, I think, the trespass offering or the picture of sanctification. It's the picture of, of not, not being born again, not being raised from the dead like the sin offering is. But it's this picture of continually repenting, continually growing, continually turning from your sins. It's about dealing with the sins that Christians fall into as opposed to the sins of unbelievers. It's not murder, it's... It's more about holding someone accountable for an oath that they, that they spoke. But now we come to the most serious of the trespass offerings. And it seems most serious because it's categorically different. Or not because it's categorically different. But because what needs to be offered is greater. And there's another element added. It's not just... For the other offerings that they had to do, they just had to bring the animal. Here they have to make restitution. The scriptural, scriptural penalty for theft is not just paying back what you stole. It's also dealing with the guilt, adding to it, paying back four times, five times, double, or adding a fifth. And so this, this brings in that element of having stolen from God, so you have to restore what you took. trespass offering for the holy things requires more than just making the sacrifice 
And I do think we see a picture of this in the New Testament. In the last couple of weeks, we've referenced 2 Corinthians 7 multiple times. So I want to tie 2 Corinthians 7 to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5. In verses 1 and 2, it says, he, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. The immorality was among them that hadn't even been named among the Gentiles. But their sin was in the holy things of the Lord. They didn't say that the church is to be holy. They didn't say the people of God has to be the holy lump. That's what he goes on and describes in 1 Corinthians 5. Is that if you are Christ, Christ has made the church a new creature, a a creature that is a lump without leaven. And so when we read the response to that letter, that response to 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 7, this is in the context of a trespass offering of dealing with a sin against holy things. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, and what vindication. In all things you have proved yourself to be clear in this matter. That idea, in all things you have proved yourself to be clear in this matter, That's restitution. You made sure that everything was restored, that everything, that the glory that you stole from God by saying he wasn't holy, by saying that a man could be be committing adultery or fornication with his father's wife, that somehow this is acceptable in the church. They made restitution. They didn't just go, well, we'll just pray to God and ask for forgiveness. And so this is a picture of of this offering in particular when you get to 2 Corinthians 7. They prove themselves to be clear in the matter. That's what the trespass offering looks like in in the new covenant. It's a spiritual fulfillment of the earlier physical offerings. doesn't mean that there isn't issues related to physical things here. There are. But we should see it first and foremost as a spiritual thing. Don't think that you can sin against God. Don't think that you can worship in a God in the way that you ought not to and then just stop and just go, well, we're going to change now without actually dealing with the fact that you were doing it wrong before. Without actually going and telling people, no, we misled by doing it wrong. This was wrong by clearing yourself in the matter. When we don't worship God the way that we ought to, when we don't treat holy things the way we ought to treat holy or treat them, there's real damage done. There's real harm done to the reputation of God. And so it creates a greater zeal to make sure that you're clear, a greater zeal to make sure that it's understood. And that's individual and collectively. So the trespass offering here in this, we should see the picture of diligence, clearing, indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, and vindication that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 7 because this is the Old Testament version of that. 
We need to repent of all sins, but we need to see that a special effort needs to be made. When the sin is against the nature of God, when the sin is about, about declaring a different God, when the sin is about worship, that it's more serious. And as I said before, the thing that was a virtual universal response to COVID was shutting down the worship of God. So we should recognize how serious God is about his worship. Because throughout the world, there were all kinds of things done in response to COVID, but the common thing that was done in almost every place in the world is to shut down the gathering of God's people to worship. And we should see this as judgment, and it should cause us. And yes, we continued, but we should still ask ourselves, why did God want to shut down worship of him throughout the world? And what are we doing that we shouldn't be doing? Because God is serious about worship. We should recognize how serious it is in the sight of God to defile his holy things. Verses 14 through 16. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, Then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall add one fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of a trespass offering and it shall be forgiven him. Then it starts with, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, so this is still talking about the trespass offering. But by putting this phrase in, he is separating it. He is creating it as a, as a separate thing to consider. We don't know if, we know it's afterwards, after what he said before, but we don't know if it's immediately afterwards. I think it's a, a, a reasonable guess to think it was. But when this line gets dropped in, it's, it's God creating a separation. So he's creating a separation from this trespass offering about the holy things from the previous trespass offerings. The same phrase was used at the beginning of chapter 4. And when you think of the, tra- of the offerings that were before that, you have the burn offering, this picture of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And from that, you get the grain offering, which is the picture of the word of God going forth. And from that, you get the peace offering. And then he resets and starts talking about offerings differently, where he talks about the sin offering, which is about justification, and then the trespass offering. So he's separating this out. He's creating a a line here by putting this phrase in that should make us think and say, this is not just, he's not just continuing the same subject. So he's putting an emphasis on the seriousness of sitting in the holy things. Moses, or the Lord continues to talk to Moses for Moses to tell the people. So he says, if a person commits a trespass. So this is a different Hebrew word that's translated trespass than the other words that were used earlier in the chapter. And it's different in roots and not just in the form of the word. The word that translated trespass offering comes from a word related to guilt. Because you bear guilt, that's why you have to bring the offering. You have somebody swears in front of you and you don't hold them accountable. You thoughtlessly swear and say you'll do something, whether good or evil, without considering it. 
that's guilty. You're guilty. This word's stronger. This word's related to treachery. This is saying you were a traitor to God. So when you think about that, recognize God is saying, with the language he is saying, even though it gets translated the same in English, but he is saying that these, are, these sins are more serious. This is treachery towards God when you don't treat him the way he should be treated as God. Transgressing against the commandments of God in worship. You're not just guilty. God is seeing you as treacherous. Some of these things that can seem not that important. You know, like having a picture of Jesus in your vestibule. And God says, that's treachery. That's being a traitor to God. We need to make sure that we put these things in the right perspective because we can look at them and go, oh, a crucifix, not that big of a deal. No, it's a really big deal in the sight of God. It's treachery. You're a traitor to God. It's treachery to God not to keep the Sabbath. You know, we need to see the transgressions against the law of God the way that he sees them and the ways that he weighs them. And yes, it is terrible to sin against your fellow man but it's worse to violate the worship of God because that has that is a more serious consequences. It has more, more serious effects on the world because when the church declares a false God, all these other things that happen, all the things that we can see around us happen in the world because the church doesn't worship God the way that God tells it to worship him. So when a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally. So this is not where you're choosing to be a rebel. This is not when you're saying, I know God tells me to keep the Sabbath, but I'm not going to. This is still about unintentional sin where you don't realize it's against the wall of God. And God still says it's treachery. You have the duty to know. And the fact that you don't know, that's a lot better than knowing and doing it. But if you don't know and you do it, God doesn't go, oh, you're free then. Ignorance is an excuse. He goes, no, this, the most serious trespass offering is for the case where you don't know that you did it. Because if you did know that you did it, you have an issue where you need justification. You don't need sanctification. You're in rebellion to God. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. You still stand guilty before God. If someone, anyone, doesn't worship God in the way he commands, if they're doing it intentionally, they're rebels. They're, they're still at war with God. They do not believe Jesus Christ is their Lord. They think they're their own Lord if they're choosing to do it the way they want to do it rather than the way God commanded. So the offering is only for those who or acting treacherously, but not with the heart of being treacherous. They're doing it out of ignorance, not thinking through how you ought to be worshiping God. can still mean that you're guilty of treachery towards God. But God gives a path to forgiveness. Now it says in regard to the holy things, that in regard, it's important to understand that the guilt is not because you're doing everything wrong. That word in regard really means partly. 
So the idea is in some aspect of the holy things if you're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean that you have to do everything wrong for God to say you're a treacher, a traitor. It's that you do partly things wrong, where you reject part of God's commandments about worship. God looks at you and says you're acting as a traitor. So the picture is you're doing some things right. You're worshiping God in ways that he wants you to worship. But in some aspect, you're not. You're not obeying God about worship. You're not obeying in regards to the holy things. That word translated holy thing is the same word that's used to describe the first room of the tabernacle, the holy place. When it's repeated, that's the holy of holies or the most holy place. But it's not only used in regard to the tabernacle, it's frequently used, I mean, it's used in regard to things about about worship. It's used in regards of the, the offering. It's used in many places in Leviticus, such as in Leviticus 27.30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So the tithe is a holy thing. So if you sin unintentionally without knowledge, without understanding what's going on in regard to holy things of the Lord, the things that are supposed to be God's, the worship that he commands, the, the things that he has a right to, that, he, that you owe him, like tithes and offerings, when you don't give it to him, it's, it's being traitorous. Whether you know it or not, Well, if you know it, then you're openly being traitorous from your heart. But if you don't know it, it's still treacherous. You just have to, you just have the responsibility to find out, to figure it out, and to go to the Lord in repentance. Don't think God doesn't take worship seriously. So since it's against the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord. He acted treacherously towards God, so he has to be reconciled with God. So he has to bring his trespass offering to the Lord. That trespass offering is the same term that was used earlier. It's that word related to guilt. That this is an offering because you're guilty. So it's not a different, it's not categorically different, but it's it's a different type of the same offering. And again, I think that offering is a picture of repentance. Repentance for the believer. So they're to give a ram. A ram is the most expensive animal for the trespass offerings. The the offerings that were described earlier in the chapter as being trespass offering, it was a female sheep or a female goat. Usually it would be like a kid of the goats or a young ewe. It was not a full-grown animal. A full-grown male is a much bigger sacrifice than the sacrifice of the smaller and younger females. And it must be male. It's important to recognize that Christ's sacrifice was about worship. He judged Israel because of their worship. When he died, when he died for us, it was to bring us together so that we would worship him. Matthew 15, 7 and 9 is when he talks about he's judging Judah because of their worship. Hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth. And honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. God judged them because they said they were the people of God, 
but they didn't care about the holy things. And he was sent by the Father to, gr- to gather together a group of people that would care about the holy things. John 4, 21 through 26, when he's speaking to the woman at the well. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is, the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Notice the tie-in. She goes, I don't know how to worship God. And then Christ says, this is how. This is the picture of the trespass offering of holy things. The woman at the well repenting. Because the sacrifice of Christ that our worship is no longer in vain, through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, he now makes our worship acceptable to God. Which means that we have a duty to not act as traitors towards God. Because he's the one that makes us worshipers. So he, by giving that ram as an offering, it's a picture of this is how we became worshipers. Through Jesus Christ, the trespass offering. And it's without blemish. Again, a picture of Christ. It has to be without blemish. But another picture that's there that, that God references in Malachi. Since it's being given in worship, it is about value, right? Worship just means to be assigning value to something. And so if it's blemished, then you're really saying you're not valuing God. When you come and bring your offering, when you come and bring your praises, but you're looking at your phone, scrolling through news. When you come to, to, to do Bible study in your family and you fall asleep. This is not assigning value to God. This is not worship. This is blemishes in worship. And God, God doesn't want your dregs. He doesn't want your leftovers. He doesn't want... Want just, oh yeah, I'll worship him if I get around to it. I'll read the Bible if I happen to have time today. I'll pray if, if you know, things aren't too busy. If, if I can squeeze it in. That's like offering a, a lamb with blemish too. Or a ram with blemish. Where you don't give him your best. God demands your best. As God says in Malachi eight, And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? And God is giving them the final warning in Malachi before he wipes them out. And he says, you think I have to accept whatever offering you give. Let's make sure that we understand that. God doesn't have to accept whatever offering we choose to give him. If we're intentionally giving him not our best, he goes, you are a traitor because I deserve the best. I deserve it without blemish. So it's without blemish from the flocks. It's not about the bullocks. It's not about the picture of the cost of 
for justification to be saved from your sins. But Christ didn't just save us to deliver us from hell. He also saved us to continue to deliver us from our sin, to continue to break the power of sin in our life. He died as our trespass offering. Then you're supposed to bring the the ram with your valuation. The term for holy things is very broad. Because basically it's just the word holy, which is, so it's anything that the word holy is used in relation to, which is a bunch of things. But as soon as it talks about valuation, it's clearly talking about physical things. And the most obvious physical thing that it's talking about is tithes and offerings. And it doesn't mean that this trespass offering is only for related to tithes and offerings. But when he starts to say valuation, he's, he is making it about material things. And so it's what God starts with. And there's a good reason to start there. As Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The easiest way to sin in the holy things of God is about money. And I think a lot of that is because that's the nature of man. First Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So this is about about being treacherous in any of the holy things. But the specific one that he puts emphasis on is is in giving, in giving the things that God has a right to. And worship, how you use your resources, is usually one of the first signs of going astray from God. If you're not trusting in God related to money, you're not trusting in God relating to your soul. why Christ also says on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Through money you can see where your soul is. You can see what you really prize. You can see where your priorities lie. What you're trusting in. Whether you're trusting in God or whether you're trusting in the resources that you have. There's lots of places where you can cheat and still look holy. Things that were required to offer were not typically money, but they they had to offer worship, they had to offer praise. But the first example that is used is money. They had to give a tenth of their crops, they had to give a tenth of every animal of the herd in that offering. How easy it would be not to give all of it. So in this offering, in addition to the making, in addition to the ram that they had to offer, they also had to make restitution. They had to pay back what they took from God. They had to do it in shekels of silver. They, it's interesting that they had to pay it in silver. You know, if you failed to tithe off your grain and you accidentally brought 8% of your grain rather than a tenth of your grain... You would think that the obvious thing would be just bring the rest of the grain. But God doesn't say bring the rest of the grain. He says you have to bring it in shekels. 
Now, obviously, if it was an animal and you you had a, part of your herd was away when you went through and counted and passed them under the rod and gave every tenth one and you didn't realize that some of your animals were missing, it would be relatively easy to say, okay, I'll bring one of those animals. But God says that's not acceptable. You have to bring it in silver. And since you have to add a fifth to it, it would be hard to add a fifth to the to the animal. But that's not true for the grain. But still... In every case, you had to bring it in silver. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, it was the responsibility of the priests of God to make sure everything was orderly. And a major part of that orderliness was being orderly in weights and measures. You shouldn't doubt that people can come and make a a show of paying back what they owed and then using a false weight. So they didn't give as much as they needed. So they were supposed to weigh it using the shekel of the sanctuary. And it would be as a trespass offering. The trespass offering was not just about the ram. The trespass offering was about the the silver of restitution as well. If the trespass resulted in financial damage, then you have to make restitution. You had to make God whole. And remember, God doesn't need it. It's not like God doesn't own the cattle on a thousand hills. It's not like God can't, he could speak and there'd be piles of gold wherever he wants them to be. It's not that he needs it. But we need to pay. We need to pay so that we remember where our trust is supposed to be. So we remember what we're supposed to rely on, where our faith, who's our fortress. Our fortress is not our money. Our fortress is God. So they had to make restitution so that they could say, I'm trusting in God rather than trusting in the things that I have. They failed to give an animal that they should have given. That's a real debt they owed to God. Maybe they found them after they had counted their tithe, but God still knew what they really owed. And so they really owed it, and it was still an outstanding debt. The word restitution comes from a root word that means safe. So the idea is you're safe from your obligations. God can't rightly turn to you and say, you owe me this. You failed to pay your tithe. No one can say that you have an outstanding debt. And obviously, that idea of being safe, it applies to more than money. Again, 2 Corinthians 7, that picture of of clearing your name, saying that you're safe, saying that you, have, that you don't owe God anything, that you've paid back the debt that you created by your disobedience. That's the picture. Making restitution for the damage that you did. And the, it's easy when the picture is money. It's harder in other ways. But when we sin, we don't just go, I confess my sin and God, forgive me my sin. You actually have to make restitution. You have to make whole the person that you damaged. In this case, it was God. Because you have to make restitution for the harm. And just because you don't see the harm, just because you go, well, I missed a cow that I should have brought. What's the big deal? God's saying there's real harm there. So often we can sin in ways. So often we can worship the way that we're not supposed to worship or we can do things that we shouldn't do in worship or that we should do, that we fail to do in worship. And we think there's no harm. But the answer is there's always harm. 
Just because we can't see the harm doesn't mean there isn't harm. There's actually harm to the holy things. If you look at the church of today, one of the greatest weaknesses that's flowing out in so many other weaknesses is that the church can't do what it should do. The average person gives 2% in America. But 10% of the people give a tithe. Which if you work out the math, that basically means one out of five people give all the money. Or 20% of the people give a tithe. Imagine the strength of the church, right? We've turned over dealing with poverty, welfare to the state. We've turned over all these things to the state because the church doesn't have the resources that it should have. And granted, there's a lot of churches that abuse resources horribly. And so it's a, it's a mix of problems. But recognize this is judgment on the church because we don't treat holy things the way that we treat them. We should treat them. And there is real harm done. There is real damage done to America, to the, to the ability of the church to shine forth light, for us to shine, demonstrate the love of God. There's real effects that happen because people don't tithe the holy things like they're supposed to. They don't give to God what is his due. That's why the government can usurp the church's responsibility to do welfare. There's real harm that's done. Don't think that just by not giving something that there's not harm done. There's real harm done. And it may not be that you look in that one small spot and you don't see that as harm. But when you start to look at how it grows like leaven, soon the whole church is filled with it. And the church doesn't have the position that it should have in the world. And it really harms the reputation of God when people don't give according to the scriptures. So you have to make restitution for the harm that he has done. He's responsible for the harm. Even though he didn't realize it, even though he didn't know that he was failing to do it, even though he was ignorant of it, it doesn't matter. He still is responsible for the harm that he did. And he's responsible for reversing the harm. Again, think in 1 Corinthians 5 where they're going, oh, look at the great mercy of God. It can even forgive this man who has his father's wife. And Paul goes, no, you're harming God. And they go, we're harming God and they repent. That's the picture of not knowing about holy things. But it did real harm. It did real harm to the reputation of the church. It did real harm to what people, how people saw God. And they had a responsibility to undo the harm. So for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing, it's not something, you know, if, it was, if it was something that he was required to do, to give, the valuation is relatively easy to measure. Other things can be a lot harder. But the valuation, you had to add a fifth to it. Just paying back is not sufficient. There had to be a fine for it to be just, for it to be incentive so that people wouldn't do it again later. Next week's passage is going to deal with this in more detail when somebody steals from somebody else. But when... But just paying it back, just undoing what you did is not sufficient. You have to make it clear that you should have never done it, that it was more damaging not to do it than to, to do it and pay it back later. 
by stealing from God, even when you didn't do it intentionally, when you realize it, you voluntarily go to pay it back, there's still a fine of 20%. This isn't being caught either, by the way. If you're caught, the penalty is different. This is where you recognize that you, without knowledge, did something wrong, and you go deal with it. That's when it's a 20%. There's the double, there's the four times, there's the full five times. Those are all things where you don't realize, or where you know it. There, the penalty is different for theft. But when you steal, you have to pay it back 20% when you confess it, when you recognize it, when you're taught, this is what God you owe God. That's when you have to pay it back. You have a responsibility to make restitution for the harm that you do. Then they would give it to the priest because it dealt with holy things. The offering was to restore the harm that you did to the name of God. So you give it to the priest. It's his representative. And so the priest shall make atonement for him. Notice the order. The restitution was required before atonement could be made. We want to just go... Oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And think that no restitution is required. That's not biblical. God forgives after you make restitution. Because if you really have a heart, a desire to fix the problem, you go out and fix the problem. If you really want to be forgiven, that doesn't mean that God is going to hold it against you if you die before you deal with it. But don't think that just by confessing your sin without doing anything about it, that God is actually forgiving you of that sin. He forgives you of the sin when you stop doing the harm, when you work to undo the harm that you've already done, especially in relationship to his name and his glory. So the priest shall make atonement for him. That word atonement is covering. That way the, the sin will be covered. The, the, the difference between you and God, the separation that's caused by sin, it will be removed. And the relationship will be restored between you and God. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering. The atonement still requires the shedding of blood. To be forgiven of the sin still requires the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So it's not just paying back what's owed. It's not just, it's not just undoing the harm plus a fine. It's also really having your sins forgiven, which requires the shedding of blood, which requires Christ as the trespass offering. The atonement is made because of the sacrifice of the ram. God is perfectly holy. No transgression can be paid for with money. Money fixes the harm. The ram is required to cause you to be forgiven, to cause your sins to be put away. No restoration of stealing the worship due God can be forgiven except because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh and was sacrificed as the burnt offering, as the peace offering, as the sin offering, and as the trespass offering. That's what atonement requires. It requires blood to be shed, and so it shall be forgiven him. God will forgive if you obey him. He gives a means for atonement. He gives a means for forgiveness. He gives a means for our relationship to be restored to God. But it's not just saying flippant words. It's actually dealing with your sin and the consequences of it. Verses 17 and 18. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, 
though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. So if a person sins, these verses are very close in meaning to the previous three verses. The words are even the same. Here it doesn't say trespass, but it uses the same word for sin if they become guilty. And so what is the difference between the two? I think the, the focus of the previous three verses were on the sins of omission, where you fail to make the offering that you were supposed to make, that you fail to do something that's required of you in holy things. And so now it switches and talks about the sins of commission, where you do things that have been forbidden by God, things that are, that are contrary to what God has commanded Sins of omission, sins of commission, they're both sins against God. They both require atonement. They both require forgiveness. They both require the same level of atonement, the same level of sacrifice. So if he sins and commits any of these things, and I think it's still talking about holy things here. It's still talking about the same subject. But it's not talking about failing to do things. Specifically, it's doing, failing to, or doing things that were forbidden in worship. Specifically, doing something that God said was not to be done. And when we see this, ha- we see this happen in Scripture, like when David takes the showbread. It was specifically given for priests to eat, but yet David takes it. So which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord. It's easy to do things that are violations of the commandments of the Lord. When you don't know the commandments, you look at all the things as you go after Deuteronomy and you start to read the history of Israel. And what you find is over and over and over again, they sinned in the holy things because they didn't know what was required of them. But that's, they still stand guilty. God doesn't say this is how you deal with treachery. But this is how you deal with when you desire to obey, but you don't know what obedience is. It's, you're still guilty. In a few chapters, we're going to study how God killed Nadab and Abihu for offering strange fire before the Lord. He kills them for that on the first day that they're ministering to him. And I think that's because it's a willful transgression. God is merciful to those who transgress without knowledge. Even though they have the duty to have the knowledge, he's not nearly as merciful to those who transgress willfully. This is about when he does not know it. It's important to emphasize. And this is the same thing that, the same word that's translated unintentionally in verse 15. So this isn't, I don't know why they translate it differently, but they translate it differently. It's important to emphasize this is not rebelling against the commandments of God. This is where you don't know the commandments well enough to obey them. So even if one doesn't know that he's worshiping God in a way that is against his commandment, yet he is guilty. 
He still stands guilty for God, before God. He still needs to make restitution for his sin. He's still separated from God because of that sin. He still needs the sacrifice of Christ to pay for that sin. The fact that you don't know doesn't give you an excuse. So he's guilty and shall bear his iniquity. That picture is like it's this heavy weight that's sitting upon him. The iniquity is still on him. He may not recognize the weight that's on him, but it doesn't matter. He's still bearing it. He carries the evil upon himself. That's how God sees him. And he'll receive the consequences of it until he makes the trespass offering. So again, he'll bring it to the priest. The sin was against God because his commandments were violated. It affects other people, but the transgression was against the commandments of God and the sin was against God. And so restitution must be made to God's representative. A ram without blemish from the flock, again, because it's related to the holy things, whether a sin of omission or a sin of commission, it is very serious and requires the biggest trespass offering. It's more serious than sinning against your neighbor, or it's the same level as sinning against your neighbor intentionally. Is next week we'll find that you have to do pretty much the same thing if you intentionally steal from your neighbor. That's how much more seriously God takes worship. Unintentionally doing things that are against the commandments of God in worship are as seriously as intentionally stealing from your neighbor. So ram without blemish from the flock. With your valuation, you know, if it's something that you failed to do, like giving your tie, that's easy to see. What your, what your tithe would be, what the valuation of that would be. But even if it's a sin of, of transgression, if it's a sin or of commission where you're violating a commandment of God, if you still caused harm, you have to make the harm good. You have to fix it. You have to deal with the problem. You can't just say, God forgives me, and then just let all the issues that you did, all the harm you did, just sit out there. God saves us, not so that we can just ignore our sin, but that we can try to undo the damage that we did with our sin. And so the plea, with your valuation, again, as a trespass offering, you have to bring the ram and you have to bring whatever's required to undo the damage. Because you failed to treat God as God, you tr- failed to hear his commandments, you failed to understand how to apply his commandments. There is still real guilt. And God says, you have to pay it back. You have to undo the harm. And you need the sacrifice. Let's picture the sacrifice of Christ. And so the priest shall make atonement for him. He shall cause the sin to be covered. He shall cause this thing that's separating you and God to stop being separating you and God shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance. Recognize that rebelling and doing what God says not to do, that is sin, but being ignorant is sin as well. He makes atonement regarding his ignorance. Because the ignorance, we have a duty to understand what God has commanded us. He has given us his word. He has told us what is required of us. And so when we don't know, we can't ever go, but God, we go, but us, we're the, we're the culprit. The ignorance itself is guilt. 
when you reject Jesus as Lord, when you refuse to hear what God speaks to you, that's rejecting God. But even if you know God, even if you say he's Lord, but you don't figure out what he wants, that itself is sin. So regarding his ignorance in which he erred. And so literally that regarding his ignorance in which he erred means more, more literally would be regarding his straying in which he strayed. We have a duty to not stray from what God has told us to do. So when we stray and we don't know it, when we come to know it, when it's not done out of rebellion, that's when we need the trespass offering. And it shall be forgiven him. When the person voluntarily comes and makes the sacrifices that we're commanded to make, when they make the restitution that's required, when they deal with their sin, God is just and will forgive them their sin. Verse 19. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. And again, that word trespass offering comes from the word for guilt. It's a trespass offering. This is about acknowledging your guilt before God. If you come and you you start paying your tithes, you start doing other things, and you don't acknowledge your guilt before God, when you don't say, I am guilty, Lord, don't expect forgiveness. This is an offering that you give because you recognize your guilt. And let's understand, you know, you do this to your children all the time, right? Your children misbehave, and you go, do you know what you did wrong? And they say, this is what I did wrong, but they're actually thinking in the back of their mind, yeah, but it, it was the right thing to do. My father just getting me in trouble for doing it. That's not a guilt offering when you do that. You have to accept that you're guilty. You have to believe that you're guilty. You have to recognize your guilt. That's when you get forgiven. If you're still going, yeah, but it really wasn't fair. Yeah, I have to tithe, but 8% should be good enough. And you haven't made a guilt offering. You have to believe and recognize God has the right to demand these things of you. Whether it's a sin of omission or a sin of commission, you have to recognize God has the right to demand these things of you if you want to be forgiven by him. Because you have to see him for who he is. Don't think a particular sin's forgiven if you read God's word and say, I shouldn't have done that, but you're thinking in your heart, but it was really okay. That's putting yourself in the place of God. Don't think God forgives that. It's so easy to read something and go, oh yeah, but God didn't mean that. He's being overly strict. You're not really repenting then. You're not really saying, God, your way and not my way. The offering is for those who recognize their guilt not just something that they'll say I'll never do again or something that they get caught in or something that they're embarrassed by the world because of, but because they truly recognize that they stand guilty before God. That's what the guilt offering is for. That's what the trespass offering is for. And it says he has certainly trespassed. It's easy to think these things aren't sin. It's easy to think, oh, you know, I... I had this field that grew a lot more grain than I thought it was going to grow. So I tithed on this, and then I find out that I had a lot more produce. Oh, well, not a big deal. And God's going, no, that's not how it works. It is certainly a trespass. And that word, certainly trespassed, it's just the, it, it literally means guilty, guilty. 
guilty, guilty. Because God puts it like the holy place, right? And the most holy place. The most holy place is just the holy, holy. The holy place is the holy. The most holy place is the holy, holy. This is a trespass offering. And this is a trespass, trespass. When you violate the holy things of God, when you do worship the way he says not to do it, or you don't do it the way that he tells you to do it, it is certainly a trespass. You are certainly the guilty of guilties. The trespass of trespasses. That's what it is when you trespass in the holy things. It's against the Lord. Not treating the holy things as holy is rejecting the core characteristic of the Lord. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. It is easy to think when you sin against men, those sins are serious. But when you sin against God, they're not that serious. And God is saying, no, those are the trespasses of trespasses. It's not the ones that you do against men. It's the ones that you do unintentionally against God, not worshiping him the way that you ought to, worshiping him in ways that he said not to. Those are the trespasses of trespasses. Not intentionally stealing from your brother. That's not the trespass of trespasses. Not knowing how to worship God. That's the trespass of trespasses. Make sure you recognize how serious worship is in the eyes of God. Let me give you some applications. The first is, are we cautious about how we worship God? Are we careful? Are we deliberate? It's really easy to think worldly in our examination of sin. How have I sinned against my brother? What things have I done against other people? How have I treated people wrongly? And recognize the sin of sins is against God and not against man. Psalm 51, 2 through 4. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. When we think about sinning against our brother, that sin against our brother is really a sin against God. When we sin on the holy things, we're directly sinning against God. So which is more serious in the eyes of God? Not the derivative one, the direct one when we're directly rebelling against what God has said in worship, that is the direct sin against God. That's the trespass of trespasses. Are we thinking about how how we sin against God? Do we prioritize sinning against others, or do we prioritize and say, how have I failed to worship God? When you prepare for the Lord's Supper, do you look and do you think, how have I sinned against my brother this week? What things have I done against, against other people? What things have I done against my flesh? What, as opposed to saying, in what ways have I failed to worship God the way I should worship him? We need to get our understanding of sin right. And to get our understanding of sin right, we have to have the right understanding of how serious worship is. The trespass of trespasses is about worship. Those aren't the minor sins. Those are the serious ones. It's an example at the time of Nehemiah, right? 
God sends Babylon, destroys them, wipes out the nation. They end up taking 4,600 people to Babylon. They're there for 70 years, and then they come back, and there's the first wave with Zerubbabel, and then there's the second wave with Ezra, and then there's the third wave with Nehemiah. And after they come back, so they've come back out of captivity, and Nehemiah goes back to see Artaxerxes, and he gets permission to go back. And when he comes back, Jerusalem's a mess already. But he doesn't start by cleaning up the theft. He doesn't start by cleaning up the other things. What he starts by is going, I need to clean the house of God. And he throws out the idolaters that are in the house of God. And he throws out the unholy things that are in the house of God. And then the next thing he does is he stops buying and selling on the Sabbath. He says, I need to deal with the holy day. And then he stops intermarrying with the pagans because he says, I need to deal with the fact that the next generation doesn't even know Hebrew, so they can't even read the word of God. When Nehemiah comes back, he says, I want to clean up Judah. And he starts by dealing with the holy things first. We should take a lesson from that. It's easy to look around, and it's easy to see lots of problems in this country, but understand they won't be fixed until you deal with the holy things first. It's easy to go to Nigeria and see lots of problems in Nigeria. But the way to solve the problems in Nigeria is to do what we're doing. Hopefully God will open doors for that so that people understand doctrine and they understand how to worship God because that's where the solutions come from. The trespass of trespasses you have to deal with before you deal with the other things if you want a country to be fixed. When Nehemiah came back, he prioritized cleaning up the worship of God. That's the right priorities. Do we have the same priority in our country? So related to that, prioritize the worship of God in your life. Because when you get that right in your life, the other things will fall in place. If all you focus on is not sinning against others against sinning against your neighbor, it won't work. Loving your neighbor must flow from loving God. If you try to love your neighbor without making an effort to love God, without making an effort to love him by worshiping him the way that he commands you to worship him, you're going to end up failing to love your neighbor because you'll be blind to the reality of who God is. So your love won't be love, it will be darkness. You have to prioritize the worship of God in your life if you want to love your neighbor. The love of your neighbor must flow from your love of God. And the most obvious testimony of your love of God is how you worship him, how you assign value to him, how you consider him as you go through your life. When you don't prioritize worship, you have a shallow testimony that doesn't transform the world. Because you're failing to declare the true power of God. Prioritize worship in your life. Another application related to worship, which is recognize how much the world wants us to worship it. To worship the things of the world. That's why you have climate change. That's why you have all this artificial intelligence brouhaha. The world's always telling everybody, we're in charge, fear us. You should just fear everything in the world. We should show value to those things is what the world wants to say. And the solution is fearing God. Not falling down before the world, but falling down before God. 
there's always temptations because this is what the world is constantly pushing you to do. It's constantly pushing you to ascribe value, ascribe power, ascribe authority to the world so that you don't ascribe it to God. But Ecclesiastes is very clear. This is the whole duty of man, to fear God and keep his commandments. That's man's all. Don't worry about the things in the world. Focus on the things that God has commanded you. This is another one just to keep beating on the subject. Where does worship fall in your priorities? We know where it falls in God's priorities. Where does it fall in your priorities? Do you just give God your leftovers? You know, if I have time, I'll do family worship. If I have time, I'll read the Bible. If I have time, I'll pray. Do you build your schedule around God and around your duty to worship Him? Or do you build your schedule around the world and the the worship that the world wants? Where are your priorities? God saves us to worship Him. Is that reflected in your daily life? Another application, remember the first people judged for trampling the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot by not being holy. In Acts 5, 1 through 5, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife, also being aware of it, brought, bought, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon those who heard these things. They lied about money to the Holy Spirit. So first Ananias dies, second Sapphira dies. God takes trespasses. Excuse me. God takes trespasses related to money very seriously. Not because they had to give it. Not because God needs the money. It's not about the money. It's about the heart. But the money reflects the heart. It's a testimony of where your heart is. Their heart, even though they're giving a large amount of money to the church, their heart was against God, so God kills them. Because they lied and only gave part. Even though they could have told the truth and given none and God would have been fine. They lied and God kills them. What you do with your money is a testimony of where your heart is with God. Make sure you deal with it justly. Make sure you deal with it in obedience to God. You want to make sure you're worshiping God the way you ought to worship him. Start by looking at your resources. Start by looking at how you deal with your time and how you deal with your money because that will tell you where your heart is. Kind of related to that, it can be complicated to know where to tie this. We talked about this the other night in the hermeneutics class. It's the tenth of an increase. What's the increase? If you get a periodic paycheck, that's pretty easy. But if you sell your house, well, there was an increase. Or was there an increase? There was inflation. 
Do you take inflation into account? Do you don't take inflation into account? It's a lot harder than it sounds to figure out what a tithe is in a lot of cases. In the real world, it can be hard to know what a tithe is. But what you need to be careful of is not deceive yourself so that you give less than you ought to give. Because God isn't deceived. He looks at it and goes, you did it right, you did it wrong. I know what the right amount is. And so it's not that there isn't forgiveness when you do it wrong, but God is serious and says you are guilty when you do it wrong, even if you're trying to do it right. God still says that's an act of treachery. And related to that, if you steal from God, he is still God. And he still collects. That's really important to recognize. He is still God and he still collects. Haggai 1, 5 through 6. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but not, but do not enough, have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ said, you can't serve God and mammon. Don't think, if you're serving mammon, that God doesn't take the mammon away. He's a jealous God. A man that, whose wife is flirting with another man does not go, I'll make sure that she has plenty, plenty of time with this man so that she can flirt more frequently. What does a husband do if he sees his wife flirting with a man? He removes her from that man. If God sees a man who is worshiping money, what does he take that man away from? Money. God's not an idiot. And he is a jealous God. The greatest way to poverty is to not worship God with your money. Because he is a jealous God. When you rob God of, God, God of holy things, don't expect him to not respond. He is an active God. If you say, I don't have time to worship him, I don't have time to do family devotions, guess what? He can fill your day. He can cause your car to break down. He can cause issue after issue after issue so that all you do is scramble and have no time. You want to say you don't have enough time for God? He can easily take all your time away. Prioritize things the way God says to prioritize them because he does bless and he does curse. Another application to remember from this passage is as serious as these trespasses of trespasses are, there's forgiveness in God. But having received forgiveness produces obedience Ezekiel 18, 21 through 24. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done. He shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all in the do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God? And not that he should turn from his ways and live. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed. 
because of them he shall die. God made a way to be forgiven of your trespasses. But don't think you're forgiven if you willfully continue to trespass. If you intentionally continue to sin in in holy things. The sign of being forgiven is your behavior changes. You stop doing those things which are against the commandments of God. The trespass offering is this picture of voluntarily recognizing you were doing something wrong and stopping and making restitution for the harm that you did. When you then know what's right and you go and do what's wrong, God says, you're not forgiven. You're not forgiven. Christ saved us so that we could worship him. And our worship is supposed to constantly getting better because God opens our eyes to it. We repent and then we worship him with more zeal. There is forgiveness in God, but not forgiveness that leaves you where you are. A forgiveness that sanctifies. Then the last application, we're still required to make restitution. And this is so frequently forgotten in church discipline. Instead of recognizing that God's name was harmed, restitution is, people want to hide it. They want to go, oh yeah, this person's been forgiven, but we're not going to announce it to the church. We're not going to make him clear his name. We're not going to make it so that people recognize that God convicted him of his sin and God is a holy God and he will not affect, he will not accept the blind and the lame as an offering, as a living sacrifice. We're still required to make restitution. We're still required when we're caught in sin to, to clear our name. We still have the responsibility as the church to make sure that people recognize the sin so that they can see that he's clear. They can see the power of God working in his life so that he changes. When these things are hidden in the church, instead of openly doing church discipline, it doesn't help the church and it doesn't cause restitution of the holiness of God and the understanding of the holiness of God in the world. Restitution is about showing that you're clear in the matter. It's not all just monetary. It can be difficult to know what the right thing to do. But we should recognize when we sin, we still have to undo the harm that we did. Because our duty is to exalt the name of Christ, to ascribe greatness to our God, to cause people to see this is what God does. This is how God can change somebody. It's back to that picture of you have 1 Corinthians 5 where they're boasting and bragging and going, look, God's sacrifice was sufficient that this man could commit fornication and adultery. To going, we need to, understand, we need to be testifying to the holiness of God. We need to show that these things are not tolerated in the church of Christ. That's what, that's what restitution looks like. We need to make sure when we sin that we do restitution, not just say, oh, I'm forgiven in Christ. Let me close this in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage where you have us. We pray as we consider these things that you open our understanding and open our eyes to the things that you're saying here. And specifically that you open our eyes to the ways that we're falling short of the way that we should worship you, the way we're falling short to to read your word, to apply it to, to our lives so that people see that you are a mighty God, a powerful God, a righteous God, a holy God, a God who judges, and a God who forgives. May we have this testimony to the people around us that we know the true God. In your name we pray. Amen.